Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. To be merciful is to show forgiveness and compassion to those in need. Jesus frequently spoke of this trait. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, Forgive us our sins, as we also have forgiven those who sin against us. Jesus instructs the Pharisees, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We are blessed if we are merciful because mercy is something God himself displays. God's children are to reflect God's mercy and are therefore merciful themselves. The merciful in this world are blessed in the sense that they know God's joy. The person who is merciful will be eternally happy because not only will God show his mercy, others will too. This really is a blessed way to live. Again, only the mind that has been brought to life by the Holy Spirit can fully understand this truth. Well, if you are a Christian, then you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Another way to say it, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of Christians don't understand what this really means. They kind of get it, but they don't really know for sure. Well, let me help you understand. Back in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus is, is talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the crowds. And Jesus makes it very clear that he is, in fact, the, the Son of Man or the Son of God. He's the Messiah, the one that they've been looking for. Because of, of the revelation of, of himself, because of the miracles that he's doing, because he's teaching with such authority, not like anyone else, he's got crowds following him. And we're not talking about hundreds. We're talking about thousands of people following Jesus because they want to know more about the kingdom of God that he's talking about. We find Jesus uh, doing miracles and, and challenging people to follow God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus is teaching like no one else has ever taught before. And these crowds are following Christ. They don't want to miss anything. They, they, they're, they don't have food, but their, their hunger for spiritual things is so much greater than their hunger for food that they just keep following Jesus. And finally, it says in John chapter 6 that Jesus looks at them and he has great compassion on them. And he tells one of his disciples, hey, go, go find some food for these people. And of course, the disciples are scratching their head thinking, what is he thinking? How do we feed 5,000 men, uh, not to mention their wives and uh, all the children that are here? We're talking about a lot of people, uh, probably well over 10,000 and maybe even more than that. 
How do we feed these people? Well, the, one of the disciples or a few of the disciples find a boy with five loaves and two fishes, and Jesus says, that's great, that should do it. And the disciples are looking at Christ, you know, scratching their head, wondering what on earth is this about? Well, you know what happens. Jesus multiplies the food, he breaks it, he blesses it, and then he has the disciples distribute it to everybody. Now, here's what it says in verse 11 of John 6. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we've been expecting. Surely he's the Messiah. He's the one. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Isn't that interesting? They were ready to embrace him as their king, but Jesus said no, and he slips away. Now, why is this? Why didn't Jesus become their king? He could have relieved them of all their suffering. Remember, the Jewish people are under Roman rule, and the Romans were, were brutal to them, oppressing them, uh, murdering them, torturing them, uh, stealing from them, taxing them to the limit so that they literally have nothing left, raping their women. And I talked about that last week. It was, it was terrible times. If ever there was a, a need for a king that would liberate the people and set them free, it was now. But Jesus said no. Why didn't Jesus become their king? He could have brought justice to the land. He could have brought freedom and punished the oppressors. But Jesus said no. Well, we get an understanding of why this is, especially when Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Jesus is being questioned by Pilate. You remember that just before he went to the cross. He went before Herod and he went before Pilate to give an account. The Jews had pressed, pressed charges against Christ, and Pilate was trying to discern what exactly is his crime. And of course, to declare yourself a king was, was, uh, was rebellion, was seen by rebellion, uh, as rebellion by Rome. But Jesus, uh, Jesus was not confessing that until he was actually questioned. And here's what Jesus said to Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now let me say this again. If you are a Christian, you are part of the kingdom of God. But it's a kingdom that is not of this world. You belong to a kingdom that is called a heavenly kingdom. It is God's rule over you. It is God reigning over you. And when you became a Christian, you came under the rulership of God. And now your longing, your desire is to obey your king, to do whatever your king tells you to do. So Jesus comes into this world proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. And... Jesus Christ himself has come to rule. Now, 
If you're a Christian today, you are under Christ's rule. You don't do what the world tells you to do. You don't function as the world functions. You don't think the way the world thinks. You don't behave or act. Your habits are not the same as the world's. You're different. In fact, the Bible says you are a new creation. You do what Jesus tells you to do. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you love me, you'll obey my commands. You're under new rulership. Satan is no longer the ruler of your heart. And remember, the world is under the rule of Satan. He is the prince of this world. No, you are now under the rulership of God, of Jesus Christ. And Jesus teaches us how to live. And that, my friends, is why Jesus gave us the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with what we call the Beatitudes. There are eight Beatitudes, that, or eight attitudes, or way to live. Eight, eight marks of a believer, the way that a believer lives and functions. And then with each instruction as to how we are to live, are eight rewards. And they are a package deal, by the way. Some people think, well, I, I'm good at uh, number one and four and seven and eight, but I'm struggling with the others. No, it doesn't work like that. We, we are engaged on every level with every beatitude. And we have looked at four of them now, and the first four relate to our relationship to God. And the next four, which starts today, this that we're talking about the fifth beatitude, it talks about our relationship to others. So let me say this before we go any farther, because I, I want you to understand what this kingdom is. I found a, a, an excellent diagram uh, of, of what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God begins at Christ. You can see it right there. As far as this world is concerned, we start with the creation and then the next big event is, is the coming of Jesus Christ. And then finally, we have the end of the world and the beginning of the new heaven and earth, or as we call it, the new Eden. It's the new Garden of Eden. The kingdom of God begins at Christ. All who put their faith in Christ now have actually entered into eternity. So if you're a Christian today, you belong to eternity now. You put your faith in Christ and you've entered into the kingdom of God where you will live forever with God and you will enjoy the new heaven and the new earth or the new garden of Eden. It's absolutely thrilling. But here's what you need to understand is that not everyone is part of the kingdom of God. It's only those who put their faith in Christ and seek to obey Jesus Christ. So is that clear? You and I need to pay very close attention to the life that Jesus has called us to live. There is a longing in the heart of every human being, a longing for approval and a happiness that goes with that approval. So Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, which some people call the constitution of the kingdom of God. It's the rule of God's kingdom and how God expects us to live, how God expects us to respond to him. 
Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount by telling us how we can be happy. Now, Jesus understands the longing in every single human being. Isn't that what we all long for? We long to be happy. We long to know peace and joy in our hearts. We, learn to, we, we long to feel sat, satisfied as though all our needs are met. Well, here's Jesus. He's telling us how we can have God's approval. How can we win God's approval? Because that's really what blessed means. It means a happiness that comes as a result of having God's approval. Here's here's maybe the the best way to, to describe it. Blessed equals happiness that comes from God's approval and God's grace as experienced in each of the eight rewards of Beatitudes. Now, you know that each of the Beatitudes gives you an attitude or gives you an action and then a blessing that goes with it. Now, for instance, God blesses those who are poor, theirs are poor in spirit. God blesses those who, are, uh, who, who understand their spiritual bankruptcy. And God says the reward for that is that the kingdom of God is yours. The kingdom of heaven is yours. In other words, you will be converted. Once you understand your spiritual bankruptcy and you cry out to God, God is going to save you and you'll become part of the kingdom of heaven that we just saw just a moment ago. And of course, each beatitude explains to us what the reward is. There's the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. Uh, they will inherit the whole earth or inherit the land. You'll remember that. Um, they will be satisfied and they will be shown mercy and they will see God and they will be called the children of God and uh, theirs, again, is the kingdom of heaven. Those are the rewards. Well, we're not going to get into that today because we're going to talk about that another day, but uh, understand that these rewards come to us by God's grace. When you and I say, God, I want to obey you, I want to follow you, I want to do things your way, then God makes us happy because here's what you and I need to know. Our longing, our desire, whether we know it or not, is to have God's approval. When we have God's approval, that's when we find or discover the most profound happiness that you will ever know on this planet. Let me give you a for instance or an example. Uh, we, have, we have three children. Uh, we still have three children, thankfully. Uh, but when they were little, whenever they were in the swimming pool, whenever they were drawing anything, whenever they were doing cartwheels, whenever they were playing, they were constantly saying, hey, mom, watch this, or dad, look at this, or dad, watch this, and watch me, watch me ride my bike, and watch me swim laps, and look at the tricks I can do in the water, and look at the things I've drawn. And, and they were delighted when we would put it on the wall or put it up on the fridge or put it in my office or whatever. What are they doing? They're looking for approval. And when we as parents would say, oh, that's fantastic, that's wonderful, you would see in their faces and in their eyes the greatest joy that, that they would ever know, the approval of their parents. Now, as a little side here, those of you who are moms and dads, I want you to understand how very critical it is that you approve your children, that you love them and make them feel loved and appreciated. Make them feel that they are 
important and what they say and do is important. Well, that's, that's, a, that, that's a lesson from the children. Now we're adults, and guess what? We're still looking for the same thing. We're looking for the approval of God. And God says, if you want this approval, if you want to be blessed, if you want to have this happiness that comes from God's approval and God's grace, then these beatitudes are the way to get it. Here's how you're going to get that. So we talked about the first four. Now we're talking about the, 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 the last half, the last four. And we said that the last four deal with our relationship with one another. And so we're looking at the fifth beatitude, and it's blessed are the merciful. Let's take a look at that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And in the NLT, it says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, because God is merciful and he shows mercy to us continuously, understand that the citizens of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, they're interchangeable terms that mean exactly the same thing. Matthew uses the, the kingdom of heaven because no Jewish person ever wanted to utter the name of God. And so uh, heaven, by the way, for the Jew, in the Jewish mind, they understood that heaven was the dwelling place of God. That was the, the presence of God, meaning the, exactly the same thing. So Matthew says, look, it, God is merciful and shows mercy continuously, and therefore the citizens of the kingdom do exactly what God does. This is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It means that we function as Jesus functions. We think and act as God thinks and acts. Isn't that what Paul said to the Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says to the Corinthians, look at, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what do we know about God? That God is infinitely merciful. A mercy that our brains cannot comprehend. Well, God says that's what we need to do. In fact, if you want to be blessed, if you want to know that happiness that comes from God's approval, then you need to be merciful. And if you are merciful, then you'll be shown mercy. But let's take a look at what mercy means and, and this command to be merciful. Now, I got to tell you, this is non-negotiable. You can't cherry pick what parts of the Bible you like. It's, it's all or nothing, baby. You have to embrace it and say, this is how uh, I, I'm going to live by God's grace. If you don't show mercy... Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you right now. If you don't show mercy, God will discipline you. God in his mercy will discipline you. Because God is merciful, because God is loving, he will discipline you. And how will he discipline you? Well, he will let you suffer at the hands of unmerciful people to teach you. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you. He wants you to understand what mercy is. So you and I are called by Christ as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, to be merciful to everybody. Now, there's no footnote in my Bible that says, except in certain circumstances, except certain people. No, it's, it's, it is a, a universal command. It is God's will that we be mercy. But the question is, what is mercy? And what does it mean to be merciful. 
Mercy deals with people who are in pain, people who are suffering, people who are struggling in misery and in distress because of their sin. Did you get that? People who need mercy are people who are in pain and misery because of their sin. That's, that's what mercy is all about. And you know as well as I do, there's, we're surrounded by people who need mercy. Our children need mercy. Our spouse needs mercy. But most importantly, you and I need mercy. I need mercy. That's why I, as best I can, try to be merciful, merciful to everybody because I know how much I need God's mercy. I was speaking to somebody this, uh, this week, a, a Christian man who, who has rental units, and he had a tenant that due to drug abuse, uh, this tenant absolutely demolished the rental unit. And this uh, Christian man told me that rather than seeking full punishment, he talked to this person, trying to find out what was going on in this person's life. And rather than trying to get even, rather than trying to be vengeful, rather than trying to bring the full measure of punishment upon this person, he chose to be merciful and to be kind and even invited this person to come to church. That's what mercy is. Mercy says you deserve punishment, but because I love God, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to show you kindness. Blows you away, doesn't it? And yet that is what the Christian life is supposed to be all about. Mercy extends relief it extends help, it cares, it heals. It does whatever it can to make a person come to that place where they feel a relief. They don't have the pressure of their sin weighing so heavily upon them that it crushes them. Now God understands that that's the universal condition of every human being. And if you, if you are a person listening to me right now who thinks, well, I don't need mercy, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to show you in just a few moments, you are very, very deluded. You don't really understand yourself at all. In fact, I would say that for many people, especially the older we get, if we haven't surrendered to God and if we are not doing things God's way, then we have, we have entered into what I would call a fantasy land, a fantasy life. You're out of touch with reality. You need a reality check. And boy, if the gospel does anything, it, it is a reality check. It shows us what the truth is, and it really reveals to us who we really are. By the way, what is the gospel? The gospel, and you've heard me say this before, the gospel is really the good news of a savior who saves us from our sin. Think about that. Who not only saves us from sin, but he saves us from eternal punishment, eternal damnation. When you repent of your sins, you turn away from your sins and you embrace the savior. The savior embraces you and you are set free. Repentance means you turn from your old ways of judging people, condemning people, not forgiving people hurting people, and you rather than turn to mercy. You get that? That's what repentance is. 
Your old way is I'm going to gossip about this person. I'm going to put this person down. I'm going to take every chance I can to hurt that person because they hurt me or because they hurt somebody else. That's the old way of living. That's the carnal mind. That's the way the world functions. And by the way, that's the way nominal Christians function and nominal churches function that way. By the way, nominal means in name only. People who call themselves Christians have given the church a very bad name. That is why I have felt in the last few years that we need to emphasize the importance of being truly converted. It's no good anymore to be simply a social or or cultural Christian. You've got to be a real one. And we, myself and and the elders, we have been praying about this and we've been talking about this. We at Cross Church now are going to really be uh, zeroing in on this. We want to make sure that if you are a member of this church, that you are indeed truly converted. That's our responsibility as shepherds. Now, again, let me remind you, if you are a real Christian, you at one time were judgmental and condemning, and you're trying to exact... Uh, revenge and you're trying to get every ounce of flesh out of that person that owes you so much and now you are turning to mercy. And God says this, because this, again, this goes against the natural way that we think. Uh, Someone says that revenge is sweet and it's even better when it's served up cold. If you don't know what that means, it doesn't matter. But know this, revenge and getting even does not make you happy. God says if you want to be really happy, be merciful. It's a game changer. Folks, this, this is Christianity. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind, and the natural mind cannot receive it. Think about that. The natural mind cannot receive spiritual matters, spiritual truths. You have to be converted to understand this. So let me say this to you today. If you are one of those people who are holding a grudge, you're still talking about people Uh, behind their back, especially people that hurt you 25, 30, 40 years ago, and you're still backstabbing them and still putting them down and still making fun of them or still still trying to make, make it clear to everybody the sins of these people who have hurt you so many years ago. Folks, you are not a merciful person. And you are you are forfeiting God's grace, his blessing, his favor. That to me is the most frightening thing of all. To be merciful, to be a real Christian, means to be merciful, to understand your own sinful state, your own spiritual condition. If you're a real Christian, then you know that. You'll be the first one to say, I'm the one in need of God's mercy and grace. I'm the sinner in the room. If you're a real Christian, then you're going to be the one who understands your own need of forgiveness And I'm going to tell you this, you cannot claim to have repented of your sin if you are unmerciful towards others in their sin. If you are unmerciful, then how can I say that you've repented? What would be the indication? This is the indication that you have repented, that you've turned from your old life. You are now a merciful person, whereas before you were a person that wanted revenge. And it's interesting to know that it is the meek who are the merciful. Remember we talked about a few, two weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we talked about blessed are the meek, or they shall inherit the land. What does this mean? The meek are humble. They, they understand 
that their utter and complete need of God and his forgiveness and his work in their life. The meek are always the merciful people. You, you think about that. And I, I pray to God that today, as we're talking about mercy, that, that you understand your own need to walk in humility before God and before people. But we don't like to do that because we're proud people. That is our biggest sin. It's the source of all sin. We're so proud and so unwilling and unable to confess that we are sinners. We don't like to admit that. I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians. I've never, ever heard them ever say that. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of God's grace. The evidence that you are converted and born again is that you're the first one to understand your sin, your capacity for sin, and your need of God's grace and his mercy. Again, this can only happen if you're converted. You can only confess and admit that if God has done a sovereign work in your life. Think about that. Show me someone who's merciful, and I'm just going to show you a man or a woman who is humbled by their own sense of weakness and sinfulness. So who are the merciful? It's, it's people who understand their own need of mercy. When you understand your own need of mercy, then you're merciful. And God says, and Jesus says, and if, and if that's you, you're going to receive mercy. You'll be shown mercy. I thank God for this teaching, for this instruction. Because as far as I know, I'm, I need God's mercy more than anybody I know. What about you? Think about that. To be merciful is to have compassion on others because they're sinners just like you. Well, let's talk for a moment about the promise or the reward. Those who are merciful will receive mercy. What is the difference between grace and mercy? Because I think a lot of people, they're not quite sure, they hear about that, but they don't really know what that means. Well, let me just say this. Grace is a loving response when love is undeserved. And this is what God does for us all the time, doesn't he? He, he? he shows his love for us when we don't deserve his love. And by the way, as Christians, that we, that's what we do for others. We, we show mercy to people when, when in fact, or we show love to people when in fact it's undeserved. Mercy, on the other hand, is a loving response that's prompted by the misery and the helplessness of another person. So we look at the needs of the people around us and we have mercy upon them. We do what we can to bring relief, healing, and care because they are in such misery and helplessness. We're not talking about undeserved love now or grace. We're talking about mercy just because a person is in such a helpless state. Doesn't that sound like Christianity to you? Doesn't it sound like real Christianity? That's why we do the work that we do in this community. That's why we do the work that we do in Burundi. Now, again, we don't function the way the world does. We do things as the Bible tells us. Now, what I've learned over the years is that most people they recognize that they are not deserving of God's love. They, they, most people recognize that. They recognize their need of God's grace. But what a lot of people don't recognize is their need of God's mercy. 
They recognize their need of God's grace, but they don't understand or recognize their need of God's mercy. And furthermore, they don't recognize their need of the mercy of others. Let me, let me illustrate this to you. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus, in teaching us how to be humble and teaching us about what mercy is, he tells a story of two men who are praying at the temple. One is a Pharisee, and the other one is a tax collector. Now, in Roman times, or Jesus' times, a tax collector was like a Nazi collaborator. He had, he had, he's collaborating with the Romans. And so the tax collector was, was not only sinning against God, because he's now in, in league with the enemy, but he is also... Uh, acting against his own people. And he is despised and hated. And in the Jewish mind, there's no way on earth that God could love a tax collector. Why? Because in the Jewish mind, uh, the Jewish man couldn't love that person, so therefore God can't love that person. But Jesus teaches us a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of living. It's, It's according to the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's according to this whole new way of living in the kingdom of God. Well, you may hate the tax collector. You may ha- hate the Nazi collaborator. God loves that person. Now, you think about that. You think of all the, the wicked, evil people out there and understand this, that God, in his grace and his mercy, loves everyone, regardless of what they have done. You think about that. I can't get my head around that. I think of some of the people I know about, people I've read about in the news, the horrendous things that they have done, and I just cannot get my brain around the fact that God could possibly love them. And yet Jesus wants us to understand what mercy is. Rather than looking at other people and their sin, God wants us to look at our own heart and see our own capacity for sin. You may not have done great and wicked things you know, by the world standards, but understand this, you have the capacity for it. Now, for some of you, you're going to have a hard time accepting that. In fact, I believe that some people will reject what I'm saying right now, but I'm telling you that what I'm saying to you is absolutely biblical. So Jesus describes a Pharisee as someone who has great confidence in his own righteousness and therefore is scorning everybody else, looking with with utter disgust upon all other human beings. That's the Pharisee. And here's what it says. Luke, Luke chapter 18 and verse 11. The Pharisee is praying, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there, that collaborator with Rome. God, I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. And this Pharisee is imagining God in heaven saying, oh, what a precious, precious Pharisee this is. But Jesus says the tax collector, he stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. 
so aware of his sin, so aware of the dreadful place that he'd come to. How did he end up as a tax collector? Greed? I don't know. Perhaps wanting to be free of the oppression of Rome. But this tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't lift up his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow and he said, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This, my friends, is what Jesus is talking about. A people who understand their need of God's mercy and therefore are merciful will receive mercy. So here's what you and I need to pray. Pray that God will open your eyes to your own great need of his mercy. Today, stop thinking about the sins of others and think about yourself. Jesus says you, all you have to do is just imagine yourself sinning or doing that evil thing and you've sinned in your heart. You need to cry out to God like the tax collector and say, God, it's me that needs your mercy. I'm the sinner. And the second thing that you need to pray You need to pray that God will give you grace to be merciful to everyone. There's people in your life right now who've really hurt you. Maybe maybe a family member, a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, I don't know. People have really let you down. And God is saying, be merciful. They don't deserve it, but that's not the question. The question is, is what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? It means that you're merciful, even as God is merciful. I remember hearing about some Christians who were, this was years ago, would would get in their car and cruise through downtown Winnipeg looking at at people who were were prostituting themselves, and they would get a laugh out of that. I was horrified at that thought. I mean, how could a Christian possibly laugh at people who are so broken and in so much need of mercy? You need to pray for people. Pray that God will fill your heart with great compassion and mercy for everyone. There's people in your life who've let you down. They let you down all the time. In fact, you can never depend on them friends and family members. These are the people that need your mercy. Why? Because you need God's mercy. I'm going to ask you to pray with me now. Pray that God would do a work in your life. I was thinking of a man I knew almost 40 years ago, 35 years ago. He was a man in the ministry. I remember being with him and he got a phone call. A mother was asking for for help to know how best to discipline her child. Just a young child that caught stealing. And I was shocked at, at the judgment that that pastor wanted to exact on that child. 
And I recognized over the years this person was never, ever merciful. And the day came when this pastor himself made an error in judgment. And I was shocked at the severe judgment that he went through. God is merciful and he's very kind to you and he will help you. But if you refuse to be merciful to others and God is going to allow you to suffer the consequences of your own unmerciful heart. I'm gonna warn you now, the days of looking for vengeance, the days of being unmerciful have got to come to an end immediately or you will in fact come under God's judgment. And it's a frightening thing to come under the judgment of God. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love and mercy. We pray now in Jesus' name that you would give us the grace the strength, the enabling to be merciful in all of our interactions with all the people we know. We thank you, God, that we win your approval and your grace. We, we experience that great happiness that comes with your approval when we are merciful as you are merciful. God, help us to, every one of us, help us to recognize our need of mercy, that we might also be merciful. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.